0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network.
1: You're listening to episode 356 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. J.F. Lalonde is a senior software engineer at Texas, where he's been working for the last three years. He's a graduate of the Turing School and lives in Denver, Colorado with his wife, Emily, and their dog, Brewski. J.F. is passionate about writing clean, well-tested, and well-documented code, as well as mentoring others. In his spare time, you can find him skiing, mountain biking, and hiking around the Front Range. Welcome to the show, J.F.
0: Greetings from Denver. This is my first podcast ever, so thanks for having me.
1: I am so excited to have you on. Of course, JF and I work together. I mentioned to the listeners over several episodes to expect to see my coworkers appear on the podcast, and I'm excited to talk to JF. So, JF, what is your developer origin story?
0: My developer origin story? Hmm. I think my first venture into code was in eighth or ninth grade. Uh, I came across a book called HTML and JavaScript for Visual Learners. And I read through the HTML part and built a little website, I think maybe on GeoCities. (laughs) And once I had my site up, I kind of forgot about it and never bothered reading the JavaScript section of the book. And for some reason, coding didn't really grab my attention at that point in my life. So fast forward 15-ish years, and I'm working at a brewery in Boulder, which I really enjoyed. But I was finding myself looking for more mental simulation. And I wanted to work in an industry where I could use my, my brain a bit more. So I was thinking of going back to college for a computer science degree or something like that, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to commit to go back to school for two, three, even four years. Um, and I was telling one of my coworkers this, and he told me he had a friend who had gone to a coding boot camp and he was now working as a software developer. So. It sounded a little too good to be true, but I started looking into it and it didn't take me long until I discovered there was one right in Denver called Turing. I read a lot of the testimonials from the graduates and it seemed like a legitimate program. So I signed up, I got accepted, quit my job, I attended for seven months, and shortly after that I landed my first developer gig ever.
1: That's amazing. So how did you balance life while being in a bootcamp for seven months?
0: A big part of that was quitting my job. I had a few people in my cohort who were still working and kudos to them because the requirement that pairing asks of you is almost impossible to do when you're you're doing something else. So for me, uh, you know, I, I lived in a house with my fiance at the time and she was able to kind of financially support me and also emotionally support me. Uh, And I was able to mostly drop everything else out of my life, uh, minimize my social interactions with my friends and going out for for a drink with friends and things like that, and really just go heads down on this program. And it was kind of a time warp because seven months flew by and at the same time felt like I crammed years of knowledge into my brain, Uh, but that was really the way to, to balance it out is you don't really balance it. You just go completely into it. And
1: so hindsight is twenty twenty. if you had to do it all over again, would you have enrolled in a developer bootcamp?
0: Absolutely. I can't speak for other programs, but Turing was perfect for me. I liked that it was a nonprofit and it was essentially a seven month trade school for web developers. I definitely had my doubts, but by the end, I was job ready, just like they promised. If I tried to teach myself Ruby, it would have taken me at least 10 times as long. And I wouldn't have learned other skills like working on a team, writing tickets, developing good commit habits. So it was definitely worth it.
1: Well, that leads us to how did you land at TextUs?
0: So I landed at TextUs through, well, through word of mouth. I got a coffee date with the lead developer at the time, and we chatted for about an hour, and he asked me if I'd like to pop into the office to meet some of the team. So I went in, I met the lead architect, and I thought this was gonna be a quick meet and greet, but it turned into kind of an interview since he started asking me all these technical questions. So I was caught a little bit by surprise, but after I left, they sent me an email to schedule a real interview the next week, and I went back, did a code challenge and met pretty much everyone else in the office. And that was it. They sent me an offer that evening. I accepted and I've been there ever since.
1: So I love the idea that you popped into the office with kind of your guard down. And do you feel that by having that time with the team before you came in for a formal interview that you were more relaxed?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was a happy circumstance, I think because I could have easily gotten too much in my head. You know, being a recent graduate and never having had a software engineer role before, I definitely had imposter syndrome, and it was easy for me to get nervous about the interview process. And so this turned from kind of a, a casual meet and greet into an informal interview, and you know, I just kind of shot from the hip and ended up working out.
1: That's fantastic. So, JF, if you had to name your developer superpower, what would it be?
0: I don't say it's adaptability. I think it's easy to get attached to a project, a feature, a technology or whatever, and have it be kind of jarring when you're asked to drop it and focus on something completely different. And some people can get upset and resentful in those situations, but it's kind of inevitable. It's part of building software. Things change, requirements shift, and you might need to wear a bunch of different hats. So being able to quickly adapt is important.
1: So while JF has mentioned that he has been at Texas for the last two years, what is absolutely amazing is that he was came on as a junior and was re- recently promoted to senior, which is well-deserved and very exciting. So as someone who started as junior and had been promoted, do you have any advice for developers who are currently deciding their career path?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, it ties into the developer superpower. I'd say be adaptable. Uh, You know, what you think you want right now might, and it'll probably change. So don't try to figure out everything at once. When you start out in this industry, there's so much you don't know. And as you learn more and grow, you'll see what interests you more and more. So I thought I wanted to do DevOps when I graduated. I didn't even know what DevOps really entailed. Now I realize I want to master solving problems on the back end. and I'm sure that'll evolve over the next few years. So if you're open-minded, you'll open yourself up to a lot more opportunities. And in my experience, that means taking on projects that are outside your comfort zone, taking on more responsibility. Yeah, it can be scary and uncomfortable, but that's how you grow. I can't think of a ton of projects as I started off thinking were way too much for me to handle. And as I chipped away at them and completed them, I looked back and realized that I was able to do them. And that feeling really helps to grow your confidence as a developer.
1: I agree. Your attitude towards a project, you seem to be comfortable with the idea that you would be going into a project that seems scary or there isn't a clear definition as to what the end is going to be. But you're really great about breaking it into small parts and you know, kind of chipping away at it and then figuring out what that end solution is going to look like.
0: Well, thank you. It's a skill that I developed on the job.
1: So speaking of how have you sought out mentorship at Textus? Because the you know Textus is common in the fact that you know the developer team has turnover, and so there are a couple you know characters that have been around for a while. But also you know we we see team members come and go. So how have you sought out mem- mentorship on the team?
0: Yeah. So you know, taking a step back before Textus uh, at Turing there was a network of mentors that students could reach out to. um, And that was my first experience with seeking out mentorship. But I would say overall in my career, my experience seeking out mentorship, uh, the one word I would use for it is indirectly. I've never gone up to someone and asked them, will you be my mentor or anything like that? And I don't know how many people do that, but my, uh, My experience with the mentorship program at Turing, during my time there, uh, just seemed like the the interactions were a little bit forced. Like I'd usually reach out and ask for advice on a specific thing. And once that thing was solved, I couldn't really figure out a way to keep that relationship going. Um, I really ended up getting more mentorship from instructors who were hanging out after class and would just chat with me about things outside of my code, like their experiences in the industry and what they valued in their teammates, and so nowadays at text us. I would say you know my mentorship is still indirect, but I, I very much feel like I get it from the senior developers on the team, and you know for example our lead architect Paul will often give me uh, code reviews where even if my code is actually accomplishing the task at hand, he'll have a little section that he'll kinda name bonus points. And it's a chance to dig deeper and to refactor the code into something better than, you know, it gets the job done right now, but you could be doing it in this way that would be even better. And that to me is a is him mentoring me by, you know, pushing me to improve myself and become a better developer.
1: Yeah, so I have two thoughts around that. First of all, I am always terribly jealous whenever I talk to a developer and I ask them about making a decision and they have to they always say oh, well, I need to consult with my mentor first, because I would also like to figure out like an established mentor that is outside of the workplace, just someone that I can go to and consult with. And maybe that's a past boss for somebody or someone that you went to a boot camp with, or maybe even someone who taught you at a boot camp. That is always a great idea. So that is a friendly nudge to the listeners to think about who could be a mentor in your life. And second of all, I love the bonus points section as well, because it does feel like that extra challenge, it feels like you're getting to the end of the level. You've defeated the boss, but like, can you grab a couple more stars? And so I do enjoy that interaction because it's not necessarily a requirement, but it is like that extra shot at being better. So I, I love that part of the interaction. So on the flip side, JF, how do you provide mentorship?
0: Uh, there's a The mentoring process at Turing has gotten a lot better since I graduated. Uh, alumni can volunteer to be paired with incoming students with the goal of generally meeting weekly. And I've done this for the last couple of years and it's been a great experience. So pre-COVID, I would meet with my mentees, either occurring before class or at a coffee shop or a brewery. And we would either talk through blockers they had on specific projects, or I would just answer questions they had about the industry in general. And then in the last year, I shifted my focus to mentoring more junior engineers at work. Uh, and I schedule weekly one-on-ones with them where we can work through their problems that they may be stuck on, or we can just talk about whatever's on their minds. So I've pushed to try to make it a little bit more direct. Whereas my, my seeking mentorship was indirect, I want to provide mentorship more directly
1: episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Recently, I embarrassingly searched for the lyrics of my favorite Nickelback song. I know most of you are probably thinking, why didn't you just use incognito mode? Let me tell you something. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you are using or how many times you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. That's why, even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon or Comcast. ISPs in the US can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers, so your ISP can't see the sites that you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background and is so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all of your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com Ruby, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com Ruby. Expressvpn.com Ruby to learn more. Thank you to ExpressVPN for sponsoring the show. Let's dig into those one-on-ones. Do you like to be pre-prepared with the problems that they're gonna bring? Do you like them to drive? Like how should those sessions, how do those sessions usually go for you and how do you make them effective?
0: Yeah, great question. I rarely prepare for them uh, because I feel like we'll sometimes start and decide on what the topic du jour is. Uh, I prefer for my mentees to drive, uh, but it, completely depends on the scenario. There's times where it might make more sense to, you know, for me to share my screen and to drive for a while, especially if I'm trying to communicate something with them that is easier done by me showing them my code than talking them through, you know, insert your cursor on line 123 and then go forward a few words. And so there's definitely a back and forth, but I'd say that generally, I'll approach it with an open mind at the start of our session and see what they're working on, what they're stuck on. And then I'll usually just ask them to share their screen. And from there, I feel like once we're sharing screens, they'll usually kind of go into work mode and be like, okay, well, these are the things that I've worked on so far. This is what hasn't worked. This is what I'm thinking of doing next. And from there, we can kind of dig into those issues more and see if they made any incorrect assumptions or if there's some knowledge that I can impart that will help to unblock them. Uh, And that's generally been my flow and it's fairly successful.
1: So if you get to the end of that session and you haven't solved the problem at hand, do you typically assign homework for that person, provide resources? How do you like close the loop on the issue?
0: Yeah, uh, I will usually do pseudo coding or something like that, where we can recap the things that we learned in our session, if we haven't solved it. And uh, especially if we're kind of near solving it, but there's still a little bit left to be done, which is probably my preferred way for a session to go because it gives them more of a learning opportunity. You know, I'm not talking them through too much. I'm just guiding them and then they have to kind of figure out the last part. So I really like pseudocoding for that, where we'll just take some notes in the code of, okay, so we determined this was the problem, we determined that this could be a potential solution, and here are the steps now to see if this will actually be the correct solution.
1: So I feel that a lot of developers have a strong opinion on the next question, but do you think it is easier or harder to mentor junior developers in person or remote?
0: Uh, well, I'm actually a big proponent of remote work. I didn't think that I would be until I became fully remote and I realized just how much I enjoy it. And so I would say I prefer to mentor junior developers remotely because I don't really think it, it imposes any new barriers compared to meeting someone in person. You know, if we're jumping on a video call together, we can have that real-time communication and we can share our screens. I can take control of their computer if I want to move the cursor around, etc. So I don't see any additional barriers, but I also think that it allows for a little bit more versatility because it allows... You know the the junior to be mentored by someone who might not be physically near them they don't have to meet at a physical location to talk things through they don't have to actually you know find a spot let's say they're meeting at a coffee shop they don't necessarily need to find like a quiet spot without distractions they can do it from the comfort of wherever they're at and we can just jump on a zoom call or whatever together and just get going right away
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And it always uh, baffled me when I hear companies not wanting to hire remote junior developers, because I personally feel it's much easier to mentor them remotely. So I'm hoping, you know, of all the negative things that have happened in the past year, I'm actually hoping a lot of companies change their attitude around that.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree with you 100%.
1: So this is a topic that you brought up that I'd love to discuss further with you, and that is asynchronous work. So first off, JF, let's let's attempt to define what asynchronous work is.
0: Sure, uh, I think asynchronous work encompasses asynchronous communication. Uh, I would say specifically in our industry, I see asynchronous work as the ability to build software with a team without always needing real-time communication. Basecamp has a guide to internal communication, and I think that hits the nail on the head. And it's basically about implementing methods for employees to do their best work while minimizing interruptions.
1: I think a lot of people think asynchronous work equals Slack. And I think you'd agree with me that that is not true at all.
0: No, not at all. There's so many other ways to, uh, Slack can be a tool for it, but it is not the tool.
1: I agree. So what do you see as the benefits for asynchronous work?
0: I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Uh, One, it allows teams to be distributed across time zones. So like you and I, Brittany, and it opens up the talent pool for who can be on your team, because all of a sudden you can hire from, outside of just your town or your city. Uh, Also allows you to keep a job you like, even if you wanna move somewhere else. It minimizes interruptions. So engineers can more easily plan out blocks of time to go heads down and get deep work done. It also provides a better work-life balance because it makes it easier to just go run an errand, have a doctor's appointment or have whatever else happens in your life and be able to deal with it in a moment and then get back to work when it's convenient for you. And I also think it leads to clearer communication, because if you have to write out a question instead of just turning around and tapping your coworker on the shoulder and asking them when it pops into your head, they'll probably end up writing something more thoughtful. And you might even answer your own question in the process.
1: One of my favorite things about you and your workflows is how um, focused you can become. So I'm curious what is the what is your process in terms of getting focus? Like, does it take time in order to reach that level of focus? And then, is it extremely disruptive if you were interrupted, let's say, by a fake emergency?
0: Yeah, uh, this is where I'm gonna uh, plug a, a great book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. I don't know if you've read it before, Brittany. I have,
1: it, it's a great read.
0: Yeah, it's a great read. And it kind of opened my way of thinking up to dedicating blocks of time to get deep work done. So when I try to get into a flow where I can really focus on solving a problem, I try to set myself up for success by eliminating all the distractions that could potentially pop up during that time. and you know, life happens. There's times when I'll get interrupted by something that's urgent enough or important enough that I'll shift my focus. But I can usually get that that block of time where I can just go heads down, no distractions, and, you know, kind of feel like I'm underground in this tunnel where by the end of it, I pop back out and I realize that life is happening around me. And so I really enjoy getting to, to have that time, but it's true, like if I'm in that state of mind and then something distracts me, it will take me longer than usual to kind of you know, regain my, my cognitive resources and then figure out what else is happening.
1: This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns, like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat, so you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open-source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com rubyonrails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. I agree. So, with anything, you know, there are going to be some benefits, but of course, there are going to be cons. So, what do you see the cons for asynchronous work being?
0: Some things just can't be asynchronous. Uh, If there's an emergency and the app is down, someone needs to know right away so they can fix it. Uh, You know, sometimes having a real time conversation is just better than an asynchronous one. Like, if you have a brainstorming session with your coworkers, that, in my experience, is better done in real time where people can feed off of each other's thoughts and quickly iterate on things instead of needing a medium that has a slower turnaround rate.
1: So as I ask everyone, you know, and especially you, JF, who has bet so much of your career on the Ruby and Ruby on Rails ecosystem, what are your thoughts around the future of the communities?
0: I don't see Ruby or Rails going away anytime soon. Ruby 3.0 is just released. Rails just released Hotwire. There's a lot of dedicated people putting a vast amount of time and energy into releasing new features and keeping those texts relevant. And I think as far as web development goes, Rails is still one of the best options to get up and running quickly while getting to code in a language as pleasant as Ruby.
1: I agree. And I still insist that Ruby on Rails is still one of the best options in order to onboard new developers into our ecosystem. At this point, we're never going to have enough developers to keep up with all the things that need to be done. And I still think that Ruby on Rails is one of the best choices. So JF, how can listeners follow you?
0: Uh, Listeners can check out my website at jf.codes. There's links to all my social media on there, but you probably don't want to follow me on Twitter because I don't post anything there. (laughs)
1: How about GitHub?
0: Yep, I have a GitHub link on my website, or you can go to github.com slash jf Lalonde.
1: JF, thank you so much for choosing the Ruby on Rails podcast as your inaugural podcast. Listeners, if you enjoyed what JF had to say, uh, definitely check out to see if Texas is hiring. You could be working with JF. And otherwise, JF, thanks again for being on the show.